find small things that you're curious about that you like to do that, that bring small incremental amounts of joy and know that it's a journey. You don't have to figure it out as soon as you graduate. Welcome back to Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Kreider. Today, we are sitting down with Ben Nempton to talk about, among other things, how he ended up playing basketball with President Obama um, and, and taking an RV trip across the country that actually turned into an MTV TV show. So there's a lot to dive into in this episode, and this is actually one of my favorite episodes that, that I've done in a very long time, because Ben is someone who's going to share with you guys um, exactly how he was able to set some really, really high goals um, and, and answer the question, what do I want to do before I die in a very effective way? Um, he, he's going to talk about how thinking about death really gets us to think about life and, and the things that we want to do and the things that we want to accomplish and how thinking about death can be a really powerful driver to get us to actually accomplish things and to move forward in the right direction. In the conversation, we go very deep into how to set these goals for yourself, how to hold yourself accountable, how to find people that are going to help build you up and lift you up as well. And this is just a very, very um, eye-opening conversation for me. It's, it's not going to be the tactical business side. We're not going to teach you how to, how to make money by selling Facebook ads to local businesses. Like That's not what this episode is about at all. It's about thinking about what you actually want to do with your life because this is a question that I know I don't ask myself often enough. I, I've been trying to get better about self-reflecting and taking time to step back and think about my life and what I want to be doing. And this episode is going to provide you with the tools to really start doing that a lot more effectively. I know I've already gone through and taken some notes and written some stuff up on my wall that that I that I got from this conversation. So I, I know you guys are going to get a lot from it as well. Um, and Ben's got some crazy stories. I mean, playing basketball with President Obama, um, starting a TV show, taking an RV trip, um, all over the place. So <laughs> I'm just super stoked to get into this conversation. So without further ado, I want you guys to sit back relax and enjoy this conversation with Ben Nemsley. All right, Ben, welcome to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today? I'm great, man. How are you? I am doing fantastic. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you today. Our listeners got to hear a bit about you in the intro to this episode, but for those of them that aren't familiar with who you are and um, what you're doing right now, give us a quick snapshot of like where you're at in time right now, and then we're going to sort of flash back and work our way up. Okay, right on. Uh, so right now I live in Venice Beach, California, um, but I grew up in Victoria, BC. Uh, and when I was in college, I started a, a project with a couple of friends called The Buried Life, which is about a list of 100 things to do before you die and then helping other people do things on their list. And we board an RV, we got a camera on eBay, we took two weeks off our summer jobs after working all summer to try and accomplish as many things on our list as possible and then help other people do things on their list. And it was just supposed to be a two-week road trip in 2006. And what happened was people heard about it. They wanted to help. And so we got this, this, all, of this e all of this incoming uh, emails and uh, through, we did like traditional media back, this is like 2006, so there's no social media, really. And so this influx of people wanting to help us cross things off our list. And then other people wanting to, um, with help, with their dreams. And so we didn't expect this and we, this journey continued. So we went back to school, raised more money, through sponsors, through parties, went out the next summer, continued our mission to cross off 100 things uh, before we die and help other people. And this sort of organically grew. And then, you know, all these list items that we had put on the list that we thought were impossible, make a TV show, play, play basketball with President Obama, uh, have a beer with Prince Harry, 
you know, pay off our parents' mortgage, uh, these things that we literally like put on the list as a joke, go to space, cover Rolling Stone, they all ended up happening. And so, you know, we sort of realized over time, like, wow, you can really do anything you put your mind to. And then really the importance of giving back and how out of all the things that we crossed off, it really was the times when we were able to help someone else step into a moment with them that meant so much to them that like really would stick with us until we die. And so this journey continued and that's what got us down to LA. And uh, you know, as, right now I'm doing a lot of speaking and spreading the message around you know, how to do the impossible, but also around mental health and wellness to try and bridge the gap between like doing what you love and you know, the importance of how that relates to the importance of your well-being and depression and anxiety and trying to normalize that conversation as well because it's something that for me when I started Buried Life I dropped out of school before because I got really depressed I was on the national rugby team dropped off the got dropped from the national rugby team and it wasn't until I started aligning myself with people that inspired me and also doing the things that I was truly passionate about that I slowly started to come out of that fog so it's a long story it's a you know, 14, 15 year old story that I, you know, told in about a couple minutes. So there's a lot there, but that's the gist of it. Man, there's so much that I want to dive into there. Um, the first, the first question that I have for you is like, where did this idea come from? Where, where did you get the idea? Where did you and your buddies get the idea of like, we're going to go cross these things off our bucket list? Cause like a lot of people have bucket lists, but like not a lot of people do what you did and like get an RV and like go out there and actually like start working on it. So, so talk to us about that. So, you know, it, it, we never thought that this was going to be anything, right? Like it was, it was really just for fun. We didn't really tell our friends what we were doing. We weren't ever, you know, we, we put on the list these things that we wanted to do, but I think deep down we never really thought we would do anything, right? It was just going to be a fun little movie to make for our friends. Now, the, the actual, um, you know, for, for me personally, where this all came from was uh, a decision to surround myself with people that were going to lift me up and inspire me. So that's why I called this guy, Johnny, who was from the neighborhood. And I was like, Johnny, let's make a movie. You know, he makes movies with his friends. I'd always wanted to make a movie. So that was the, that was the intention. Um, but serendipitously, as we kind of started having these conversations, it was Johnny and I, his older brother, another friend, Dave, all grew up in Victoria, BC. You know, we were having conversations on Skype about what we wanted to make a movie about. Johnny gets assigned in English class at first year university, a 150 year old poem called The Buried Life. It's written by an English poet back in 1856. And this poet articulated the same feeling that we were feeling, which is we had all these things that we wanted to do, but we hadn't done them because they're buried. And we have moments when we're inspired, but ultimately that gets buried by the day to day. And we thought, this dude 150 years ago in his 50s is articulating the same feeling that we're feeling. We're probably not the first people to feel like this. Let's call this movie, even though we don't know what it's about, we're going to call it The Buried Life. And that's how it all began. We thought, okay, next step is how do we unbury all these dreams? And that's where this question, what do you want to do before you die, came from. Because we thought, if we think about the fact that we're going to die, it's probably going to put the things that we really want into perspective which is what it, it, death does, right? It makes you think about your life. It's a, it's a funny thing when you think about death. It's, it's oddly inspiring because it shows you that your time's limited and you don't have all the time in the world to do whatever you want. You really have to prioritize the things that are important to you. And you have to be conscious of that or else if you're, sub, if you, if you're not, you will push those personal goals till tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow until you die. 
right? Most people die regretting the things they didn't do. That's the biggest regret people have is not living their ideal self. So we didn't know any of this at the time. We fell into it as kids. We just were lucky, I guess. And, and you know, we stumbled into this idea of thinking about death, about a bucket list. But so, so the answer to that question, what do you want to do before you die? There's many answers. And, and thus, so the list started to build from there, right? So then we started to grow this list of 100 things. And we pretended we had $100 million in our bank. And we pretended that we could do anything. Those are the two rules you had, we had when we wrote the list. So these list items were outrageous, right? They're totally absurd. Um, but that wasn't really the point. The point was just like to pretend you were a superhero and just write it down. And, you know, we can talk later about like the power that we sort of, that this has when you write down your goals is super important. But we, again, we weren't listening to any podcasts. Like we didn't do any, you know, um, any type of self-work. It was just, we were just wanting to go out there and have fun. And I think that's where a lot of important and, and, and amazing things ultimately come from the most important things arguably but so we had this list and then it was like okay we have an idea how do we make it happen and from there it was like it was cold calling companies out of the phone book it was literally throwing parties talking with club owners to do like you know split revenue from the door and bar sales to make money we borrowed an rv that we had to drag out of a swamp that we had to take to a mechanic to actually you know, he told us like this thing won't make it back. And we almost didn't go because we didn't have money to tow the RV back. Um, we got Red Bull to give us Red Bulls. We got a juice company to pay for our gas. We worked two summer jobs so that we could build a website, post it, buy a camera on eBay. Like this stuff was really, you know, the only money we ever took, we borrowed $2,000 from Dave's dad, which is one of the guys, as a loan that we paid back with interest. So, you know, it was like, bank borrowing and stealing to make this happen. And then we're just like, fuck it, two weeks, we'll see what happens. And it, that's all it was supposed to be. But it kind of just took off from there. So who, who picked it up? How did you guys like get that taken off? Because obviously, like you said, social media wasn't around. You mentioned a website, but like how, how did people find out about you? Mm. So like first day we left, it was, um, we made the front page of our local newspaper. I, we crossed off be a knight for a day, which is number 43. So I got a full suit of armor, a chain mail, a sword. I was able to, I was a beer rep at the time. So I, I traded a bunch of beer to a friend who was a manager at a restaurant for a gift certificate at the restaurant that I traded to an old woman that owned this armor to let me borrow it for free for two hours. So I, I'm in this full 50 pounds of armor. We go downtown Victoria to film small town and we had promised the, um, the press that there was a big stunt. So it was like people showed up and there was like, it was really awkward when I stepped out of the bus. Cause I was like, uh, what do I do now? I'm just in this night uniform. I feel like a jackass. Like, what am I doing? And then there was this little boy that was walking with his mom holding a plastic sword and he was six years old or something. He didn't say anything. He just ran up to me and then just like knelt down and bowed his head. And so I was like, well, I'm a night over, night over. So I night over and then all these kids start crowding around, come out of nowhere, start knighting all these kids, walking them across the street. And a photographer took a photo, and next day we're leaving, we're like, oh my God, front page of the newspaper. Me walking across the street with this six-year-old boy, I'm both holding our swords. And then that was then provincial news, which is like state news, right? Like now it was, you know, then it was, and we would bum rush every radio station we went, like every city we'd go to, we'd drive right to the radio station, park our RV outside, it had big like, you know, 
we call them decals, U.S. decals, right? But we spent a big, what do you want to do before you die on the side of the bus? Sorry, it was an RV. We eventually got a bus, but it was a shitty 1977 Dodge coach and RV. And so we would just like, we bum rush, we'd go inside and we'd say, hey, we're on this mission. We want to try and help people cross things off their list. We'd go on the radio and spread the word. And most people would, would let us on the radio. And then it was like national news all of a sudden. And it was just snowball. And so it was traditional news is the short answer, right? So, and, um, you know, eventually we started putting stuff up on YouTube. We do it like 2006, pretty early. We posted um, a recap of our first tour after that, you know, road trip. And that was front page of YouTube. And, um, you know, from there it, 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 it kept growing, but it was very organic. And it, it just felt like people wanted to hear this message, right? People, we, people wanted permission to go after their personal goals, right? And, they, and the idea, which is something that we didn't expect, like we thought a bucket list was selfish, right? We're like, well, like who cares if we're going after our list? But what happened was, is people were inspired by the fact that we were going after it and it encouraged them to go after their list. And that's something that is, I think, was very unknown to us at the time. And now I believe is a very important truth, which is like, there's a very real and tangible ripple effect that happens when you go after what you love. And you actually inspire other people to do what they love. And that's, a, that's an intangible sort of, like it's hard to measure, sorry, but it's very real. It's, it is tangible. It's just like, how do you quantify that? You know, I'm sure, you know, hundreds, thousands of people have been inspired by your podcast, you doing what you love, and imagine the impact they've had and the, on the people around them, right? It's very big, but you know, who inspired you to do your thing? I guess it's interesting to think about that this all comes down to, at the end of the day, like one person maybe saying something, doing something kind, or you know, someone you don't know, maybe it's a mentor or someone you, you know, watch online. So the idea is that anybody can have a profound impact. That's the implication, right? So this idea was something we didn't, no, when we started buried life and now this is like i talk about this stuff because i think it's so important for people to do what they love and, and that i think gives people permission it's like look it's a win-win you get to do what you love you also get to inspire people and on the flip side the ripple effect of helping other people is very very big you know you help one person you don't just help that one person you help the people around them the friends or family or loved ones so this was very unknown to us at the time but it, again the more we did it, the more we saw that people were triggered to do their list. And so, and they wanted to help us, which was also crazy. Like the only way we cross things off our list is through the help of other people. So we just kept chugging along. We go back to school and then the next summer we go out again, we'd raise more money. We bought a big bus. We, you know, a 1966 purple transit bus. We hired a crew from LA to come up and follow us and film this documentary, which ultimately, you know, just continue to unravel. And, you know, now cut to today, which is like, you know, we've done 91 of 100 list items. The documentary's almost finished, that we're working on number 100, which is Go to Space. And, you know, this whole, these crazy adventures have really taught me a lot about life. I bet. So when it comes to like, like an, an everyday person, um, yeah writing their list. Do you, do you think it's beneficial to do that same exercise that you guys did where like assuming like there are no limitations, assuming like you can do anything. Do you think that's a beneficial way to go about things or like how do you 
advise people, talk to people, like especially young people on, on how to start thinking about that list and thinking about what they want to do before they die? Yeah, I think it's, a, I think it's important to uh, take the limitations off, not because you should just think about the extremely big things that you want to do. Like I don't, I don't want people just to simply go for moonshots because you know, that's something that's talked about a lot. What I think you should do is if you do have a moonshot, I think you should write that down. Like I, I don't want you to not write down the big things because of a limiting belief, but it doesn't mean that the small goals are any less important than the big ones. Cause really what this is about is these are, this is a list of the most important things to you in your life. Like the things that you believe will bring you the most joy and happiness and fulfillment. So that can be anything. There's no definition or there's, you know, there's no standard for that. It just depends on what, who you are. Everyone's different. But I think that you don't want to put a cap on that um, because what you'll find is that you will achieve whatever you believe you can achieve at the end of the day. So if you limit yourself, you're just going to have, that's going to be your ceiling. I mean, that's what we found, right? Like, the only person that, that stops you from doing something is yourself. So pretend you can do anything. Pretend you have all the money in the world. You'll figure out the rest later. You don't have to worry about that right now. The most important thing first is figuring out what's going to excite you. What's going to, what are you curious about? Like just, you need to write those things down. So the list is important. First and foremost, the first thing you can do an actual step is pull out a journal, pull out a piece of paper. If you want to do it on your phone, you can do it on your phone uh, and write down all the things you've ever dreamed of doing. And, and then the reason why this is important is because you're taking a thought and you're making it real. So you're literally creating a tangible thing out of your dream, out of your thought, and you're building a, a foundation for these to grow. And you're also creating a, a roadmap so that when you stray from this list, when you get buried, because everyone gets buried by the day to day, this is the human condition, you need a reminder that your dreams exist. The most important things are these, is this list, so you better remember them, <laughs> because like, they're the most important. So you need some mechanism, a device to remind yourself, so that's why the list is important. Now, this doesn't work for everybody. Figure out a device that works for you. Maybe it's a friend that, is an accountability buddy. Accountability buddies, you're 77% more likely to achieve your goals if you have an accountability buddy, you're 42% more likely to achieve your goal if you write it down. So you decide what works for you, but it's important to get those down on paper because you know that's, that's an actionable step that starts to build inspiration as you move. So you're like, you're doing something. The next is to talk about your goals, right? That's another important step. 100%. So for a lot of people that might seem kind of kind of daunting to, to put things to paper that, that they've wanted to do for their entire lives that they that they have as their their dreams, their visions, their goals, and myself included, and a lot of young people that, that I've talked with, we have a hard time sometimes differentiating between what our goals are, and in the goals that other people have sort of projected onto us or, or have sort of set for us. So do you have any strategies or, or ways of thinking about how to really dig down to what your personal goals are and sort of like detach that from, from the goals that, that other people have set for us? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, and it's a, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, yeah. As I said, like set, this is from an academic study. There was uh, in, in, in a journal called emotion, which is like psychological psych, psychology journal. 
which found that 76% of people, their single biggest regret is living the life someone else wants for them versus the life that they want. Yeah. So that's a devastating, yeah. devastating fact. Three quarters of the population. So that's the normal. That's the norm is, is to live a life uh, based on someone else's goals or the, 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 the goals that you think someone else has for you. So how do you get out around that? I mean, I by no means am uh, you know, an expert, but some things that I think really help. If you try and get out of your head and into your body a little bit more, you, you, you get, I think, a truer, um, you get closer to the core of what's important. So don't think, feel. Um, when you think about something, does it excite you? Do, do you? do you physically get any sense of butterflies or excitement? You know, you know when you're going for a trip and you're just like, oh, I'm so excited, you feel that in your body. If you're gonna meet a girl, you feel that in your body. If you're gonna go, um, do something really exciting or it's, maybe it's like speak in front of people or it's some sort of creative project. Maybe you're going out with friends to create something like, you know, maybe it's music, maybe it's language. I don't know. It, it's different for everybody, but try and uh, get, think about like, or sorry, try and feel that. And those, that's a good road to follow. Another one is just ask, just figuring out what you're curious about. And those are great roads to follow. Um, and again, both of those are more feelings than, than thoughts, but it is really difficult, especially when you're coming out of high school, college, and you have a million people telling you what you should be doing, teachers, parents, you know, society, friends. Yeah. And it's very difficult to find your voice, let alone follow. And it may be easier to follow if you knew what it was. And sometimes it's, you can't even do that, which is, you know, you just, you feel so overloaded and, you know, depressed or buried that you just, you don't even know how you feel. And that's really common. I would just say like find small things that you're curious about that you like to do that, that bring small incremental amounts of joy and know that it's a journey. If you don't have to figure it out as soon as you graduate, you can do something and then change like that is, it's a misconception that you uh, really have to choose your path and follow it. You, you evolve, you change your path will evolve and change and that's totally normal so at least that takes the pressure off being like okay i better figure this out now because i'm graduating or because i'm moving on to this or whatever so yeah those those i think like if i was thinking about what i wish i knew then uh you know it'd be that would be that taking pressure off myself to uh, really have to have it figured out and um, yeah because a lot of young people, they, they, they're in this rush. They, they think they need to have their life figured out by the time they graduate or by the time they, they turn 21 or whatever. And I just think it's so ridiculous because like things just ebb and flow so much. And, and it, the way I see it, there's no sense in like locking yourself into like one specific path at such a young age and just assuming that that's what you're going to do forever. I mean, I... I'm somebody who really likes to keep my opportunities open. Um, like I, I take one-way tickets any anytime I travel. Like I'm somebody who like really likes to go with the flow. So I, I'm really I'm really glad you brought that up. And, and one thing that you mentioned, um, so you mentioned like step one was like honing in on what you actually want to do, and step two was like telling people about it. So let's let's talk more about telling people about it, and and really how how do you structure that conversation? How do you think about sharing those goals with other people because that can be a really vulnerable experience to, to really open up with someone and say like these are the things that I want to do or these are the things that are important to me and you're really putting yourself out there to, to really 
whatever that person is, is going to say to you. And that can be a tough, tough conversation. So how do you, how do you think about that? How, how do you sort of go about having that conversation? Great point. I mean, so you're right. It's, it's a very uh, vulnerable thing to do. Most people don't do it yeah. because of fear, right? You're either afraid of what other people will think or you're afraid of failure. So if you talk to people and tell them what you want to do, then they know if you don't do it and you fail, which is a intrinsic fear that humans have, right? It's part of the human condition, which is the same as the fear of what other people might think. Um, and so I think there's a couple different ways to look at it. I mean, first, just to uh, break down those two fears very quickly, uh, the fear of what other people might think dates back to when we were hunter-gatherers and we would go out for a, try, for a kill. And if we came back without a kill, we were at risk of getting kicked out of the tribe. So this was like very innate fear that has um, been with us for a very long time. And uh, now... The, the difference though is that was that was life and death. Whereas now when we think about the fear of what other people might think, as long as you have your basic low level needs met, which is a very important caveat to this conversation because if you don't have shelter or uh, food or safety, then this is a different conversation. But let's assume that you have those. Then the, the truth is, is that people are generally thinking about you much less than you think they are. Yes. Right? Yes. They are too consumed with thinking about what other people are thinking about them. Right. And they are much more accommodating than you think they in general will help more than you think they will. Right. That's from my experience has been the case. So that is more of a made up fear on a scale of real fear to made up fear. Now the fear of failure is you know if you think about you never go if you don't go after your goal because you're afraid of doing it or you're waiting for the right time you failed you did not go after your goal at least when you try and fail what you learn far outweighs any potential hit to your reputation i say potential hit because it's you don't know right and this is part of your path this is this is your school by trying and failing you know this is how you course correct and then move in another direction um and, you know, there's a larger conversation around failure, but I think you, you get it, right? Like, that's it. It's just, it's part of the process of growing, of learning about yourself. And so, okay, so like hopefully, and again, it's not like you just hear that and we all know those things anyways, but it doesn't make it any easier. You're still thinking about, fuck, what if like everyone's going to know that I'm going to look like an idiot, you know, that it's hard to get over that stuff. But at least like, you can start to digest in the back of your mind. Yeah, you know what? Those are fears that are a little more imagined. Um, and so then what do you do? Well, you can start just by telling the people that you love the things that uh, you want to do, okay? And if you think that the people that you love are going to judge you or have a bad reaction, let's say your parents are going to flip out when you tell them you want to be a professional skateboarder or whatever, then you, know, you don't have to tell them. But like, who are people that you care about that are in your life that you um, feel safe talking about and, and tell them and then, and then maybe tell strangers. Cause like who cares if strangers know, like they, you know, you may never see them again, but it's a good muscle to build because eventually you'll find that people will be like, Oh, that's, you know, my, my cousin's a professional skater and you'll be like, Oh, can I, do you mind if you connect us? I'd love to like ask him some questions or, 
you know, see how he got started. And, and ultimately that's how you start to make inroads. You want to be an author? You want to write a book? Well, chances are someone you know knows someone that's written a book. So find that person, get to that author, ask in a very respectful, value-add way. Hey, mind if I, uh, or can I help you out in any way? Mind if I borrow 15 minutes of your time for a quick um, call? Uh, you know, maybe I can help you with some copywriting. You know, you, you get the idea. So like, I think that the more you share um, is good. Now, there's going to be a lot of people out there that are like, okay, well, what about all those people that overshare? All they talk about is, you know, I want to do this. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm gonna, this is my dream, blah, blah, And I think that there's definitely, uh, you, can, you can tip over the edge where you're not doing anything other than just talking about it. And that, there's a balance there. Like you have to, I think, talk about it intentionally. Um, you know, if you're trying to, as I said, be, if you want to write a book, share with people that you think might know authors and, and like, you know, and I think also it's, it's cool to, to share it on your socials. If you truly, this is what you really want to do. You don't, you ask for help. I think it's really, it's like, takes a lot of courage to ask for help, but it's, it's the only way that you um, can increase your chances of success. Because if you think about when we, what happens when we are, are faced with a challenge at work or school, you know, we, we don't know how to get around this challenge. What do we do? Generally, we're going to go to our boss. We're going to go to a colleague. We're going to go to a friend that maybe has worked in, this, in, a, in, a, in a similar industry and said, hey, I'm up against this challenge. What, what should I do? What did you do? You know, you collaborate. Um, but with personal goals, we tend to go at it alone. And, and that's just harder. You know, it's doable. But it's definitely a lot easier when you're talking about it with people, workshopping, asking for help getting help and uh, you know, ultimately that starts to, it just gives you momentum that you need to, to get it done. Mm. So how, how would you advise a young 16, 17, 18 year old to start finding those people that they can surround themselves with who are going to support their goals, who are going to help lift them up if they're feeling like the people that they're currently associating themselves with aren't really serving that role? A very uh, difficult thing to do, but really important is you, you kind of have to be ruthless with the people you're hanging out with. Only hang out with people that give you energy. Do not hang out with people that take energy in a draining negative way. Now, this gets difficult when it's family. This gets difficult when it's old friends that you've known since you were young. But if you can start to turn and hang out with people that are inspiring, hang out with people that, that are doing things that you love to do that are create, you know, any, if, if you want to be a creator, other creators, because not just because you want to be around them and they're going to inspire you, but you want to be around their friends because they're also going to inspire you. And once you start to move into this other sphere of people that really bring you up, you will, you don't even have to do anything. You will subconsciously raise your level of thinking. You will subconsciously raise your perspective or what you believe is possible because you will be seeing your friends doing things that are awesome. And you will think, man, he did that. That's crazy. Like I know him. He's the same as me. I wonder what I can do. Like that's what happens. And you start, it's like this upward spiral, but you really have to be intentional around Surrounding yourself with those people. I mean, I'm, I'm not, this isn't hyperbole. What changed my life from being a, so depressed I couldn't leave the house? 
right? Like dropped out of school, you know, and you know, this is, there were things like therapy and things like, uh, like other, like meditation and stuff like that that we can talk about. But the, the, the simple decision that changed the trajectory of my life was deciding to surround myself only with people that inspired me. That was it. So I think that's a huge one. Have you ever struggled with uh, the concept of like envy? Because when you're associating yourselves with these high achievers, um, sometimes, and, and I've heard this from listeners a lot, they, they can start to feel envious of these people instead of seeing that and thinking, oh, they did that. What can I do? They think, oh, they did that. I could never do that. Or like, why can't I be that successful? Or why can't I have that thing? So how do you, how do you think about the concept of envy when, when associating yourself with those high achievers? Yeah, it's, it's a, again, a really good question because it's, it's human nature to um, compare ourselves with people above us, right? We, we, we rarely look sort of down and think, man, I'm doing great. <laughs> you know, we always look up to people doing more, thinking uh, I'm not doing enough, they're much better, and, and so on and so on, which is, you know, uh, part of the problem with social media, as you know, because you just see the best and you, you compare yourself to that innately so I think that it's it's a it's a tough nut to crack but it's there's a couple things that are important one just understanding that you know you're always going to uh, think that you might not be good enough in the sense that when you compare yourself to other people that is a feeling that you will have so if you can start to, to be around people that one inspire me and two there's like there's a two way street of love. Like you just, you innately like build a really strong bond. You know, you're not just hanging out with people that are doing the craziest shit just because they have a ton of followers or because they're doing something that's really, really cool. Like you actually really like that person. Then you will inherently be happy for them when they succeed because you love them. And, uh, and you want your friends to do well. And yes, you may get pangs of, ah, oh, like, I'm happy for them, but also I wish I could have done that or, you know, and that's just part of the, that's just part, this is life. But at the core, you will want the people that you care about to succeed. And so that is kind of an important element in these relationships is just that you really do genuinely care about them and you will be happy, you know, with when they succeed and ultimately you will rise with them. You know, it's just sort of the way it is. Hmm. Could not agree more. That was, that was really, really valuable. And I'm sure that really helped out a lot of people. I got to ask you though, like, how did you end up playing basketball with president Obama? Like I, I really, I got to hear this story. <laughs> we, so, okay, 2000, so President Obama gets elected, Johnny calls me, he's excited, this is long before the MTV show, and he said, Benny, let's put play basketball with the president on the list. And I laughed at him, because I was like, Johnny, you're calling me from your friend's laundry room that you rent for $200 a month, this is the most impossible thing we could ever think of doing. And he was like, true, but how amazing would it be? <laughs> and I was like, can't argue with that, so we wrote it down. And that was the first step, writing it down. And, uh, and then we, we were, you know, so then we produced and created the show out of the buried life on MTV. And one of the list items we insisted we go after, which by the way, when we did the show at MTV, they didn't help us with anything on the list. This was just the four of us. 
just like it always had been. You know, we had a big, we had a lot of infrastructure behind us from a, from a crew perspective, from a, you know, clearance perspective, but from an actual execution of the list items, there was nobody making calls, doing things, pulling strings. Uh, and this made MTV very nervous because they didn't know whether they would get a finished episode or not, right? Like we could fail. And we were like, yeah, that's the point. Like this is real life, we could fail. And so when we told them we wanted to play basketball with the president, they were like, come on, can we, no, like can we just, let's do something with a little bit of a higher chance of success. And we're like, it's already happened. We drove to DC and we're like, Anyone we could get an email for in, in you know, Capitol Hill, we would send them an email like, hey, we're trying to play basketball with the president. If four regular guys can play basketball with the president, then it's proof that anyone can do anything. Everyone ignores us, but there's like some lower level officials that are like, okay, we'll meet with you because you're annoying and you're in town. And you're so we met with a couple of them and we found that we could convince them to, to talk with their boss like 50% of the time and we meet with their boss. We meet with their boss and we're sort of, you know, lobbying in DC to get all the way up to, we got to the secretary of transportation and he's very confused about why we're meeting with him, but we explained to him what we're doing and he's like, I think I can help you, gets up, picks up the phone and calls the White House. And so now we have the, uh, Obama's trusted official calling the White House, endorsing us and we walk out of that meeting and we feel like, okay, we this is about as good of a show as possible. We get an email almost immediately from the White House and they're like, hey, thank you for your inquiry about the, your, your, the opportunity to join President Obama in a game of basketball. We reviewed your request and no, there's no chance, <laughs> basically. And we're like, oh God, like, you know, and then we thought, okay, why don't we change our tack instead of going after uh, trying to track down the president, what if we ask him to come to us? And so we found the the personal aid of the, the president's email. And we were, we sent him an email and we said, you know, you and the president versus us tonight, 730 at the YMCA, we got the court reserved. <laughs> <laughs> Go up with our basketball and our basketball gear, no president. We did it again Friday, no president. Saturday, no president. Sunday, fail, fail, fail. And um, we would go, you know, we'd bum rush places. We, we went to the gym where we thought the personal aid worked out every morning at 5.30, nothing. I tracked the Secretary of Treasury into the pool doing laps one morning where I was just wearing a towel with nothing under trying to talk with them. It was a total disaster. We finally leave DC and I get a, a, a phone call. It's a blocked number and I pick it up and all I hear is, what's this I hear about you wanting to play basketball with the president? And I, and it's the personal aid. And I'm like, yes, sir. And I explained to him why. And he's like, I like this. I really like this. I think I can make this happen. Give me two weeks. I got to run it by the press team at the White House. They sign off. We can do this. So we wait two weeks and then we get a call back. And the personal aide's like, I talked with the press team. It's not going to happen. <laughs> and we are just gutted. And so he's like, listen, I'm sorry. If you're ever back in D.C., let me know. Uh, maybe I can show you the White House basketball courts. And we are back in D.C. a few months later. He actually responds to our email. He invites us to the White House. We walk through the West Wing. He shows us around. He's like, here's the, the, the basketball courts in the backyard where the tennis courts used to be. And there's one presidential basketball. And we're shooting around. We're like, hey, do you mind if we like film this for a sec so we can show our friends? And the person is like, you know what? The president's not in town. Sure. And as we're filming, President Obama strolls on the court and surprises us. And we're just like, you got to be. <laughs> <laughs> we are totally... Wow. You know, our jaws are 
on the ground and and we shot around with the president for like 15 20 minutes and it was uh it was totally bananas yeah that's crazy that is that's that's a wild wild story man i'm, I'm glad you shared that with us <laughs> yeah. and i mean that does go to show like if, if four random guys can play basketball with president obama like you can you can do a whole lot of stuff like <laughs> you do a whole lot of stuff you know not even like four random canadian guys like there's no business we had no business being there you know and coming off of that court there was this moment where we were we kind of looked at each other and we're kind of we're just like i guess you can kind of do anything you want <laughs> like that was it we're like that was the most impossible thing we could ever think of doing. <laughs> and it happened. And we were like, oh my God, that's so ridiculous. And so it made everything else after that kind of feel just more attainable, more tangible. And so I think, you know, over time, what the list has done is each time one of those impossible list items has fallen off the list, it's been this like little building block in like my core belief system that has like built up to that moment where sort of was like, you can do anything you want. You, you are the author of your, you know, complete destiny. And that once you see that a couple of times, it literally rewrites your DNA where you suddenly just, it's, it's an inherent core belief. And like, it doesn't mean that things won't be difficult. It doesn't mean that you're, you won't fail. Um, it just means that you start to approach uh, decisions in your life a little bit differently where you start to think, okay, this is something that I, that I, that I think I want to do. It's not a question of whether I can do it or not. I know I can, but do I want to? Do I want to put in the work that I know it will take to get there? Um, do I want to focus on something else? You know, and you start to make your decisions based on what you want versus what you think you can do because ultimately you know you're like i know i can do it i know it's gonna be fucking hard <laughs> like really hard do i really want that and yes or no and and that's and then it's kind of like if you have difficulty deciding and i think this is important especially for you know people on the come up or you know people you know kids that are graduating where you don't necessarily know what you want or not right like as you said like you may not you may not know what you're passionate about or you may, uh, but I think it's important to think about, try and picture yourself. If you're at a crossroads and you're like, should I do this? Should I go left or should I go right? Uh, and so you, you don't know what to do. Think about your future self laying on your deathbed, looking back onto this crossroads. And will your future self regret going left or not? And if the answer is yes, if they will, if your future self you think will regret like not doing it, then I think you have to do it because you don't want to end up in the 76%, as I said before, that regrets uh, not doing, not living their true self. At least then you can do it and you, if you fail, you won't regret it. Like that to me is, 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 a, is not a good fate to, to sit on your, or lie on your deathbed and look back and think, fuck. I blew it. I, I blew it. So I, I really don't want anyone to, to feel like that. I think that more people can get in the minority um, of the 24% or built 
bump up that minority so that, that we, you, you know, we, we feel content. And I, so using death as sort of a litmus test for the, the, you know, the yay or the nay, um, is one thing that could help. Cause I mean that, that failure and that discomfort is, is temporary, but that regret that can last you forever. I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't go away. You said it. Yeah. And I think we all can relate to that, you know, whether it's like not asking out that girl, uh, when we, when we knew we wanted to, or it's, it's not seizing that opportunity on opportunities are fleeting, yeah. you know? So that regret can cause resentment. That resentment can cause disease. And, you know, that's very, that's a very real thing. And so, you know, you may get battered in the process, but it's temporary, as you said, it's not uh, lifelong, you know, for the most part. So, you know, it is, it is an interesting thing to think about and to keep in perspective. 100%. Ben, I've been getting so much value out of this conversation. I am so grateful for you, and I'm sure our listeners are as well. I've got a few questions now that I do like to ask all of my guests before we wrap up. Are you feeling ready for those? Yes, sir. Wonderful. So the first thing that I'm curious about is what is something that genuinely has you excited right now? So I'm really excited about, uh, so I'm speaking a lot and doing, you know, um, lots of uh, speaking engagements. And so I'm excited to take that to the masses, you know, and figure out ways to scale that. Uh, thinking about a book, uh, thinking about social. And so, you know, I feel like I've kind of gone around this in an interesting way where a lot of people will, will write a book and then they'll speak about it. And I sort of started speaking about it based on this TEDx talk that I did called um, uh, five or six steps to cross anything off your bucket list. And this idea of a ripple effect that we mentioned has sort of started to come out in, in these speaking engagements. And so I'm excited to allow people that can't just come to the, the either the company that I'm speaking to, the, the event, the association, and get this information out. Uh, that's why I like doing these podcasts and, you know, and, and, and really thinking about how to just, um, yeah, scale that, info and, and, and hopefully affect more people. So hundred percent, hundred percent. Ben, do you have any habits that have served you particularly well? Um, whether that be in, in goal setting or just in life or business in general? Yeah, I think, um, so one, one thing that I, I'm not sure if I would be able to do what I'm doing now if, if I didn't meditate sort of consistently, especially with the speaking rest I meditate every time uh, before I speak. And so that's been a habit that is really been life saving. I, I, I kind of use it as a tool too. If I can't sleep, I'll meditate and in the middle of the night and it will ultimately sort of calm and quiet my mind enough that I can fall asleep. So I use TM, but I think that Headspace is a great app and, you know, Calm is a great app. If you want to learn how to meditate, I, I would encourage people to do so. You know, even if you don't do it every day, I think that it's an important tool to have in your toolbox. Um, and I, I've also recently just, just sort of figured out or tried to identify new metrics of success. And instead of having uh, revenue-driven goals or, you know, which I still have, but instead of just having, you know, those types of, uh, you know, business-related goals, I look at the different metrics of like how many times a year do I jump in the ocean? 
you know, that for me is like a metric of success because ultimately I want to jump in the ocean as many days a year as I can. Uh, you know, I live in Venice Beach and I should be in the ocean every day. Um, and that makes me happy and it's easy and uh, I should do that more often. Another metric is, you know, uh, sleeping through the night. You know, if I can, if I, I'm a worrier. So if I, you know, generally I'm worrying about something, I don't want to do anything that will worry me enough that I can't sleep. <laughs> like that's my thing for this year is just being uh, at a place where I'm sleeping soundly because I know that, you know, there's a great book called Why We Sleep. Um, and it's, it's basically talking about the, how sleep is not a pillar of wellness is the foundation of which all pillars of wellness stand on. So it's, it's an incredible book. I encourage people to check it out. And after I read that, I was like, okay, I've been, I really got to prioritize sleep. So yeah, those, those are the things that, um, you know, s seem to help me with not just personally, but uh, professionally, because as you know, there's really no line there. Yeah. <laughs> I really like those those changing up the the success metrics because I, I find myself getting caught up in like yeah like like revenue driven goals and just like setting my metrics based on things that are important to me but there are so many other things that are also very important to me and and what would would make me feel like I'm being successful in my life so I'm I'm glad you brought that up and that's definitely something that I'm gonna have to think about more um, over the next few days here so it's it's I think it's it's a great. I'm glad that you like it because I think that if you look at the top five regrets of the dying, which is probably something we should all be concerned about because we all are going to die. And so these are the things that whether it be a hospice, there's a, a book from a hospice worker in Australia. She, you know, what this is from studies as well. The top five regrets are, you know, and I may get one wrong, but effectively it's the one thing I mentioned, which is not living my ideal self, living for someone else, not myself. Um, I wish that I uh, reconnected with old friends. I wish I spent less time working. Um, I wish that I, um, oh shit, now I'm gonna uh, forget them. Less time with friends, one more time with friends, less time working, and shoot, I may just have to, have to Google these. <laughs> but effectively, the, the idea is that uh, all of these things are, I'm going to open right now so at least people can get them. Um, do not have anything to do with making money, right? So they are, again, so now I have them in front of me so I can actually do it. I wish I had let myself be happier. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. Mm -hmm. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life I was expecting. So, you know, there, there's not anything... <laughs> In fact, there, there, there's nothing about hitting financial goals. It's about working less, um, staying in touch with friends, you know, so you can think about like, well, then I better, like, I'm going to have to be proactive to stay in touch with the people I care about. That's important. Um, I wish I had let myself be happier. You know, I should probably just give myself permission to do my bucket list. I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. So I better practice, you know, talking about what's really going on so that I don't, feel depressed or anxious and these types of things. So, you know, I, I just think it's kind of, this was something that, that, that kind of shocked me that these were felt like simple things, but you, you, you in reality, they are uh, the, the things that people really, you know, tear people up at the end of life. So it's, uh, you know, those things I think are, are different metrics than we are used to sort of, you know, gauging success on. 
hundred percent. I'm going to have to go back and write those down and put those up on my wall because uh, those are things that I want to remind myself of every single day. <laughs> yeah. All right, Ben, you, you've been providing a ton of value and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Where can our listeners go if they want to follow up with you, um, get in contact, learn more about what you're doing, hear you speak, all that good stuff. Where are the best places? Yeah, the best place is probably Instagram. My handle is at Ben Nemton, which is just my full name. The last name is N-E-M-T-I-N. And that's where I've been putting a lot more videos and stuff, you know, content of me speaking and that type of thing. So I'm going to focus more on that. And, you know, please DM me and uh, let me know if you have any questions about the podcast or want to talk more about it. Uh, that's probably the best way. And then there's, there's a lot more information on my website, which is bennepton.com, but Instagram is the best. Awesome. I'll link up both of those in the show notes for y'all as well. Ben, again, I'm very grateful for you choosing to spend your time here on Young Smart Money. Do you have any last parting thoughts, words of wisdom, or anything you want to leave the listener with here today? It's <sighs> a good one. I think that, you know, just, just keep, keep your future self in mind and know that, uh, you know, you can always change your course as you, as you move along. And uh, as long as your future self won't, re won't regret it, um, I, I think you continue to just follow your heart and, and do what you love. Mm. Those, are, those are some words of wisdom indeed. Ben, thank you very much. Um, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. I know I got a lot of value out of this conversation, and I'm sure our listeners did as well. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Bada bing, bada boom. That is a wrap, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed this last episode of Young Smart Money. If you did, you know what to do. Um, drop us a five-star review on iTunes. It would mean the world to me. I literally run on reviews like they are the fuel that goes into my body and gets me jazzed up, fired up every single morning. So if you take the time, literally it's like five seconds to drop a review. If you're in the podcast app, literally just go to Young Smart Money, scroll all the way down past all the episodes at the very bottom. There'll be a section that says write a review. If you could drop me all of your thoughts, all of your questions, all your comments, all your concerns. I would love to read those. I read each and every one of them. Um, and I really do take them all to heart. So that would mean a ton if you could do that. Otherwise, um, if you guys are wondering how I make money on the show, because if you all notice, I don't put sponsors on the podcast. I don't believe in that. I don't want to waste your time listening to some ad about Squarespace or whatever they're promoting these days on the podcast. And I've been approached by plenty of sponsors, believe me, but they all get shown where the door is because that's not what I believe in. But I am still able to monetize this podcast, turn it into a consistent five figures per month of income. If you guys are wondering how I do that, um, I put together a free cheat sheet for y'all. It's a little bit more than a cheat sheet. It's kind of like an ebook. It's like 20 some pages long where I laid out the 16 methods that I use to monetize my podcast. So if you guys are interested in that, I'm um, getting completely free. Just head over to applecriter.com slash cheat sheet. That's applecriter.com slash cheat sheet. And you can download that completely for free. Cheat sheet is all one word. Uh, don't ask me to spell it though, because I will probably mess up. So guys, applecriter.com slash cheat sheet for the free cheat sheet. How I'm able to monetize my podcast consistently five figures per month off of that. Um, I really am passionate about podcasting and I want to teach y'all how to do it because I see these guys making videos on YouTube teaching you like the, the bare minimum, the basics, the stuff that nobody like needs to actually learn. Um, but it's, it's that advanced stuff. It's how to actually make money doing this without having to put sponsors on your show that I think is really, truly valuable. So that's why I wanted to share that with y'all. So guys, again, absolutely free to download. Link will also be in the show notes for this episode. Otherwise, I hope you guys have an absolutely wonderful rest of your day, wherever it leads you. And I'm glad you decided to spend the last hour here with us on Young Smart Money. <laughs>